How's everybody doing this morning? It's uh, good to be with you. Um, my name is Antonio again. I'm one of your one of your elders, and Ryan asked me to uh, bring the word today, so you're stuck with me again. I was up here three weeks ago, something like that. Um, so thank you, Ryan, for asking me. It's a real honor to uh, be able to bring the word to you today. So let me uh, let me pray before I start. I always like to. Uh, go before the Lord. Father, Holy Father, we come before your holy presence in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for Revive. Thank you for the church, your bride. And we thank you, Lord, that this morning we're here all. We gather this morning to worship you with our songs, with your word, with our fellowship, with the way that we love each other. And Lord, I just, just pray, Lord, that you will speak through me this morning and that you will open our ears, our hearts, our minds, so that we can receive uh, the message this morning. So thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. And open our eyes to see the blessings that you bestow upon us every single day. We love you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So we've been uh, studying the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and Ryan has been doing a great job bringing us through it. Um, and it's the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And um, I always like to see what's going on with the people of Israel at this time. I'm not going to take as long as I did the, the last time. But so Jesus is in Israel, obviously his homeland. And he's up north in the uh, northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And they believe that he spent about 80% of, of his three years of ministry up in Galilee. And um, obviously, th there was something about those people up north, all mostly farmers and fishermen. The, the, the Lord had a heart for those people. And as he's preaching, as he's bringing his ministry, people are excited about this new rabbi. And they're gathering because they say that he preaches with power and authority. They're all excited about this Jesus. They say that he's possibly a prophet. And that, for, if you remember, for 400 years, God has been silent. He hasn't, he hasn't spoken to the people of Israel. So now all of a sudden, there's this rob supernatural miracles like never seen before. Before, He goes by the hundreds, by the thousands. In the Sermon on the Mount, disciple, you need to learn from me. And if you remember at the end of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, he says to them, says to them, listen, and you don't do as I say, you don't put those words into practice, you will be a fool. So Jesus is um, telling them, uh, Ryan began with the Beatitudes, Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, the blessings. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for they, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, he's saying to them, when you realize you're broken spiritually, and you're so far from God that you're broken, and you, and you decide will be comforted. Blessed are those who look at themselves and grieve over their sin, and mourn over their sin and say, Lord, remove this filth 
this mess from me. I need you. And then repent and turn to him. Then he goes on to talk about, you will be persecuted if you follow me. It's like, what? You will be persecuted if you follow me. Why? Because you will begin to speak truth, his truth. You will, be to, you will begin to walk in his truth. And people do not like the truth. We read it in Romans, the Paul says that the people suppress the truth, they hate it. You will be persecuted. He's saying, are you sure you want to follow me? Then he goes on to say, you must be salt and light. It's a very dark world out there. I want to bring light. It's a world out there that doesn't taste very good. It's very sour. He says, I want you to bring salt. I want you to taste good. I want you to bring me with you. Be salt and light. Then he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And I think he said that because if you read in the Gospels, if you read in the Gospels, the Pharisees many times, very often, they challenge Jesus with his words and with his teaching. And eventually they accuse him of, of, of uh, preaching something other than the law of Moses. So I think he was basically saying, listen, it's going to come the day when the Pharisees, your leaders, are going to say that I'm not preaching the law of Moses. But I didn't come just to preach. I came to fulfill it, to walk it. So they're listening. And then he goes on to talk about the heart. He says, you heard that it was said, basically telling them, your teachers of the law have been teaching you about the law of Moses, and they have told you in the past, you shall not murder, which is true. It's the sixth commandment. But he says it's more than that. If you want to walk in my kingdom, it's about the heart. And yeah, you might say, I never killed anybody. But it says, if, he, if you hate someone in your heart, Jesus says, that's a sin. And in my kingdom, you don't walk like that. In my kingdom, we love one another. We love each other. He says, in my kingdom, you're going to love each other so much that that's how they're going to know you're my disciples. And then he goes on to uh, lust and sexual impurity. And Ryan preached on that last week. And Jesus is saying, you walk in my kingdom, we don't walk in sexual immorality. I want my people to be pure in heart. Not just in the act, but pure in heart. And so Jesus is challenging them. He's telling them, are you sure you want to walk with me? Because a whole different walk than the world And I, I even, I always say this when I look at this sermon that I, I, I guarantee there were people that were getting up and saying, this is hard teaching. How can I ever do this? And walked away. Then today, the next subject Jesus talks about is divorce. And I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm not qualified to talk about divorce, trust me. 
But that's what's next, and that's what I love about what we do in this church. We preach, uh, we do the expository preaching, right? That we go verse by verse. We don't skip anything. And there are times when we hit a subject, and it's like, oh, great. I mean, Ryan did lost last week. I'm glad I didn't do that one. But I'm doing divorce today. And it's still a very hard subject to speak about because divorce, it's evil. Not always. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's necessary to separate. But divorce has caused uh, the breaking of families. Lives have been lost. Uh, and and, and the children growing up in a divorced home is, 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 is horrible. Divorce is a very horrible thing. And it's a hard thing to preach about. But Jesus is talking to his people about divorce. So in Matthew 5, verses 31 to 32, this is what he says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is again saying, it was also said, your teachers of the law have been telling you, right, that if you basically are tired of your wife, you can give her a certificate of divorce. But Jesus is saying, no, it's more than that. He says, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except one condition, on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Jesus is saying, it's just not by just anything that you think is, um, that you want to say to your wife, out. And why is he saying this, right? So, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, from the law. So, I'd like to go to the law and look in the book of Deuteronomy, what is, why is Jesus bringing this up? Chapter 24, this is what the law says. So this is the book of Deuteronomy, right? Right before they enter the promised land. The people of Israel have been walking on in the wilderness for 40 years. They're about to enter the promised land. So kind of Moses refreshes the law, gives them the law one more time and says, okay, you're about to enter finally the promised land. There's a new generation that was born in the wilderness. Here, study it, live it, right? So in chapter 24, he says, when a man takes his wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if, he, if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and then later, man, I'm, I'm sorry, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts her in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the, her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. It's like, what? Boom, boom, back and forth, what's that? I know, right? So 
we need to understand one thing. Back in those days, and even in the time of Jesus, the view of women was very, very low. Very low. In fact, they used women almost as slaves, as an object, as servants, until Jesus came, until, Jesus, until God gave the law. God said no more because he did. Picture this, right? So I have this wife. I don't like you anymore. Goodbye. Certificate of divorce. She finds another man. He marries her. And then I'm thinking, oh, good luck, boy, <laughs> buddy. And then he divorces her. And instead of me saying, you know what? I'll give her another shot. I should bring her to me again. Or you know what? He just died. I'm going to bring her to me again. God was saying, she's not a toy. She's not an object. That's not how we treat women. So God was protecting women in this case. Right? But what's interesting is the beginning of what it says. Again, when a man takes his wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Her. <laughs> and this indecency, theologians and uh, scholars, they say, we don't really know what it means. This indecency, what is that? It could be anything. Right? So, so, so why wasn't God specific about it? I wonder if he wasn't specific so that people would be like, I don't know what it is, but I guess I, I, guess I shouldn't do it. I don't know how much what he's talking about. What is this indecency? So what happened in the time of Jesus, in the first century, there were two uh, schools of thought. There were two prominent, very prominent teachers, right? And they were rabbis. They were great teachers of the law. One of them was uh, Shammai. He was one prominent teacher who taught. He was very conservative. He says, only if there's sexual immorality, that's the only way you can divorce your wife. Okay. And there was another one, Hillel, another prominent rabbi. At the same time of Jesus, at the same time of Shammai, he said, well, this indecency could be anything. He was very liberal. So what what did he say? I'll say, let's, let me give you a list of the things that maybe the indecency could be part of, of, of what God is saying there. So the list had things like she didn't know how to cook. Can you imagine us here? <laughs> she didn't know how to cook. Certificate of divorce. I saw her talking to a man down the street. Certificate of divorce. We had an argument, and my neighbors can hear her. Certificate of divorce. There was a lot of them. And there was one that was kind of hard to believe. He said, if you don't find your wife attractive anymore, and you find someone else prettier, certificate of divorce. They turned divorce into a circus. 
And I'm sure if Jesus asked the people that were listening to him that morning or that day, and he said, who do you want to listen to, Shammai or Hillel? I'm sure they would say Hillel. And, and we do the same today. You know, we look at him and we say, wow, that's terrible. That's what we do today. We make a, a mockery out of marriage. And we, we take divorce such a simple thing to do, just a piece of paper. In chapter 19 of Matthew, they asked Jesus the question again. The Pharisees want to trap him. And they go and they ask him a question again. Chapter 19 of the book of Matthew, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his wife and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Didn't you hear that? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except, here we go again, for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus again. And Jesus, being God, much wiser, he has the right answer for them. It's lawful. It's lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, any indecency. Says he answered them, Haven't you read from the beginning, from creation? What happened in creation at the very, very beginning? And I like this because we always have to go to the beginning. God's creation, God, the way He ordained everything, the way, but then the way God sent into the world. The way God promised that he would send someone to crush the head of Satan. It's <clears throat> all in the very beginning. We always have to go to the beginning. So Jesus, that's what Jesus does. He goes to the beginning and says, Have you not read that he who created them, who is he, God, who created them from the beginning made them male and female? God comes and creates Adam and Eve, male and female. Two genders. Two genders. Male and female. And he says to the man, you leave your father, you leave your mother, and you become one with your wife for a lifetime. And Jesus is saying, that's what marriage is about. Lifetime commitment. And it's a shame that today our culture, not only today, it's been happening for thousands of years, 
that as we look at what God created, as God ordained marriage, the institution of marriage, that society today and for so long now, it keeps making a mockery of God's institution of marriage. It's sad. People telling God, I don't care what you said. Did God really say that? So I want to do whatever I want with this marriage thing. And society is mocking God. And I believe, I truly believe that God, God, God is really hurting. God is really uh, having this sorrow, this is grieving over marriage as he sees our culture embracing a whole different idea of marriage. I'm sure it's grieving God's heart. And us, as the bride of Christ, should also grieve that society is making a mockery of God's institution of marriage. But it's so sad sometimes to see that we, the church, are embracing it. We seem to be okay with it. But it's not what God intended. God intended a beautiful union between a man and a woman for a lifetime. It's even, it's even sad when... <clears throat> When we hear, <clears throat> excuse me, couples in the church living together. <clears throat> couples in the church living together, saying to God, I don't care if you say that we need to get married. We don't have to. That's what the church is doing today. And it's grieving God's heart. And it should grieve our hearts as well. He goes on to say, right, in um, verse 6, there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. If we go before God to make the covenant of marriage, Jesus says, you can't just go and say, oh, let's separate. Because God put it together. God takes marriage very seriously. But we take divorce like no big deal. And it's happening everywhere. Not only out there in the world, but also in the church. Grieving God's heart. And again, so it was on verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? See, they're saying Moses command where he didn't command. God never command divorce. Because Jesus says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you. He, say, he doesn't say he commanded. He said he allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. God never intended for divorce. Because see, God, 
creates marriage. And he says to his people, if you follow my ways, you will never have the desire to leave your spouse. Never. Things go great all the, all the time, but you never. Same with Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you follow my teachings, if you listen to what I have to say, trust me, you will be fine in your marriage. You will remain together for life. And as I was looking at this and studying and reading and praying, and uh, I was like, why, why are we at this point in life? Why have we gone to the point of divorce as if it's no big deal? Why, why are marriages breaking? So I was thinking, okay, the world, right? We're, we're almost like the world because the divorce in the church is big. And I'm thinking, why is this happening? Why? And I, again, I'm not an expert when it comes to uh, divorce. Even though I went through one myself when I was younger. Ooh, what? Yeah, it did. Unfortunately, it was, I wasn't a believer yet. My ex-wife wasn't a believer. It split up. Horrible. I'm not an expert, but I, I believe that what happens here is what happens when you meet someone, right? You, you meet somebody, you start dating, you have a fun season, I'm in love again. You go out to eat, you're hanging out, go to the movies, ah, it's so nice. And then, then you, you're on the phone, no, hang up, no, you hang up, no, you hang up. Right? No, you hang up. And we feel good about it. We get engaged. We're all excited. The whole family is everywhere is excited. The wedding plans, and we're, ooh, we're ready to get married, and the wedding is coming, and can't wait to live all the rest of my life with you. And then we get married. And then we said to her or to him, make me happy. You better make me happy. Because I gave myself to you. And if you don't make me happy, there's going to be trouble. Because if you don't make me happy, I'm going to find somebody else that will make me happy. And I think that's the problem. Maybe other reasons, right? But I think that's the main problem because even the world, just as us, we said to our partner, make me happy. When that's never going to happen. Because no human being is ever going to make you happy. We have something so wonderful, so powerful here in the church that they don't have. His name is Jesus. He's the one that fills the heart, not a human being. No one is going to make you happy. I know my wife thinks that I'm perfect, but I'm not, honey. <laughs> I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. We're going to find, mis- we're going to find faults, and we're going to be like, oh, man, I'm, I'm stuck with her for the rest of my life. I'm stuck with him for the rest of my life. When in reality, what we need to do as, as men and women of God, we fix our eyes on Jesus first. And that's with everything in life. 
You might say, well, Antonio, I'm not married. I'm, I'm not planning on getting married anytime soon. It's not going to happen. Or I'm, I'm getting married soon, right? But no matter where you're at in life, as a man, as a woman of God, <clears throat> Jesus comes first. I still remember when um, Marilyn and I were dating. And we did it for five years, poor woman. But we, right before we got married, right, she became a believer. And oh, man, all she talked about was Jesus. I wasn't a believer yet. And Jesus this and Jesus that. And I said to her one day, honey, I feel that you love Jesus more than you love me. <laughs> and she said, I do. Ah. <laughs> uh, I hurt. But today, I'm so glad she does. Today, I am so, I even pray for that. I said, Lord, I want you to grab her heart like no one else. I want her to love you more than anyone in anything in this life. Because when she does that, she becomes a better wife, a wonderful wife, a wonderful friend, a wonderful mother. And that's why I ask you sometimes, some of you, my friends, if you're looking for a, someone to, to be with someone to marry maybe, make sure he or she loves Jesus more than anything. That would be the best choice you will ever make. And I pray that you will also be someone seeking Christ to fall in love with him like nothing else. I'll, uh, I'll finish with this. Um, it's kind of an odd way to finish. But in, um, in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments. The third commandment, okay, you're going to say, why are you going there for? That's a little strange. God, <clears throat> God gave the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and he said, <clears throat> you shall not take the name of the Lord you got in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, guiltless who takes his name in vain. And you're going to be saying, why, what, where did this come from? Lately, I've been um, meditating on this verse, and it's hitting me hard. Because it does say, you, you shall not take, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord you got in vain. But the good, the, the, the real translation should say, should say, you shall not carry You shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not saying that, you know, you come from work and you say to your wife or whatever, oh, God, I had a long day. Oh, you say, God, well. He says he's not going to hold him guiltless. He's not going to forgive this person. He, you, do you think if, if I go home and say, oh, God, I had a long day, God is going to heal me 
guilty for saying that? He's going to uh, not forgive me for that? It's more than that. God is saying, you shall not carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. You should not walk as a Christian and drag the name of Jesus through the mud. So I was thinking of this for today because <clears throat> as Christians, we carry the name of Jesus. And, and he's saying to us, you're going to carry my name. Carry so that you honor me and glorify me in everything that you do. Husbands, carry the name of Jesus to honor him. Honor your wives. Wives, carry the name of Jesus. Honor your, him and your husbands. If you're single today, again, some of you are about to get married, right? Carry the name of Jesus. Seek Christ first. And you carry him. You know, it's like, like when you did something wrong when you were a kid and your father says, you are dragging my name on the mud. What's wrong with you? This is the same with our Lord. He says, you're going to call yourself a Christian? A little Jesus? Carry his name in a way that honors him in a way that glorifies him in everything that we do. If you're having problems with your marriage, seek Christ first. Cry out to him. Pray for your marriage. Pray together for your marriage. And again, if you're seeking to find you know, maybe someone eventually wait on the Lord. Pray about it. He will send someone your way. And, and maybe, or maybe God is saying to you, you might have to remain single. Carry his name even as a single person. Honor him. Glorify him. That's where the bride of Christ does church we need to be different than the world that's what our Lord calls us to do in Romans 12 Paul says do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind let me pray.